turn to Genesis 17. Genesis 17 and verse 1. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face. And God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from a foreign land, who is not of your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh, an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant." And God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, she shall, not be, she shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. God said, No, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father twelve princes and I will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. When he had finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham. Then Abraham took Ishmael his son and all those born in his house or bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's house, and he circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very day as God had said to him. Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, and Ishmael his son was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. That very day, Abraham and his son Ishmael were circumcised, and all the men of his house, those born in the house and those bought with money from a foreigner, were circumcised with him. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come to your word that you would speak to us. Open our ears, cause us to hear, show us wonderful things from your word, instruct us and build us up. Call us to ever-growing faith in you, build us up in that faith. And Lord, for any among us who do not trust in you, 
Bring them this day from death to life, that they may see you in your glory. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. When we were, uh, after Christmas, we visited family in Georgia, and we stayed uh, for a short time with Leslie's parents. And when I was unloading the car, um, carrying things into the guest bedroom, I noticed on the dresser a cassette tape. You remember what those are, right? (laughs) Cassette tape. It was the cassette tape from February 7th, 1999, of my very first sermon. I'm not sure why my mother-in-law had this out and what it was doing on the dresser. She just said that I couldn't take it. Um, The sermon was titled, He is There, Arguments for the Existence of God According to Bovine Theology. Now, I won't explain why that sermon title. Um, I will just say that I realized in seeing it, I really don't have the I don't find the joy and I don't have the creativity anymore to come up with such imaginative sermon titles. If you want to know why bovine theology, read 1 Samuel 4-6 to uh, this afternoon. But I mention that uh, creative sermon title because today's sermon title, although seemingly not creative, is very purposeful. It may not seem very deep, but I am hoping that it will serve as a guide to help us to see certain themes that are in Genesis 17. Genesis 17 is full. It's a long chapter. It's full. There's a lot of stuff happening. The narrative is fairly straightforward as we read it, um, but we could spend quite a bit of time on Genesis 17. We see in it circumcision. We see the names change from Abram to Abraham, and I can quit tripping over that now, Sarai to Sarah. Uh, We see a reiteration of the covenant once again. We see a date given for the the child of promise. Now, a year from now, we can expect the birth of Isaac. And yet, there are some themes that run through this chapter as well that I don't want us to miss. And so I am hoping that these key words in the sermon title will serve as a guide for us today. They are simply that, the words in the sermon. God Almighty gives a promise. And that's what I want us to look at Today, God Almighty is the English translation of the name El Shaddai. This is the first time in Scripture that it is used, and it is used by God Himself to introduce and, and in a sense, reveal Himself to Abraham in a new way. We see the word forgive used here six times in this chapter, translated in English as either give or make, and it focuses on the sovereign aspect of God's gracious gift of the promise that this wasn't some kind of financial transaction, this wasn't some kind of tit-for-tat, this was a gracious gift of God to His people. He is the giver of the covenant. And then finally, that word for covenant, promise, is something that is hopefully becoming increasingly familiar as we work our way through Genesis, that God is promising goodness to His people, which comes ultimately through the salvation accomplished by the seed or the offspring of Abraham. And this is what Paul gets at in Galatians 3, where he writes, Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say into offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, which is Christ. So what Paul does for us there in Galatians 3 is explain or exegete Genesis 17 for us. We, we now know what the ultimate point of the offspring was. It was then the coming Messiah, the one who was promised. And so today I want us to see that the hope of the covenant promise given to God's people throughout history 
is indicated by signs given to us like circumcision, like baptism, like Passover, like the Lord's Supper. And the signs were never about pointing to us ultimately. It's not about pointing to our profession of faith or our commitment or our loyalty primarily, but about pointing to the promise giver and the promise itself, which is both one and the same, Jesus. He is the one who has given the promise and who comes to fulfill that promise. Yes, we are included in the promise. It isn't as if the promise isn't about us. It's just we have this knack for turning things into being all about us, don't we? And it's not all about us. It is first and foremost about Christ. The offspring, Paul says, is not many, but one, pointing to Christ. And it's why he goes on later in that same chapter, just a few verses, to write, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. So hopefully now you see why this theme then, God Almighty gives a promise. And that's what I want us to look at today. The text opens up and tells us that Abram is now 99 years old, or 99 years young, depending on how you want to look at it. The reason that that's important, regardless of his age and and, and the span of things, is the fact that it's been 13 years since chapter 16. We have to remind ourselves of this when we read through Scripture because we read chronologically often and we think in terms of things happening just on top of each other. Sometimes that's true. Sometimes things carry over. Chapter markers were added later on to help us and they don't necessarily indicate uh, either a a connectedness uh, right away or any, any span of time. But here we're told how much time has passed, 13 years. And so Sarai, who's about 10 years younger, she's now pushing 90, okay, God has been telling them about this promise for a long time. And even after they took matters into their own hands, by Abram taking Hagar as his wife and the birth of Ishmael, it's now been more than a dozen years since that mistake. So why is this worth thinking about? Well, it's worth thinking about the time. It's worth thinking about their age. But we have to consider all that has happened during this time. You think of the agonizing of waiting. This is something that we can all understand. We've all been in places in life where we have had to wait, and waiting is hard. You think of the familial dysfunction. We, we know some of it, right? We know that Hagar looked with contempt toward Sarai, and Sarai mistreated Hagar. And we know that Ishmael was a wild donkey of a man. Can you imagine what he was like as a teenager? So there was some familial dysfunction in this home. There was also the process of aging, something that we're all familiar with. And the grind that aging is, the reminder daily that our bodies are not going to last. And then there is the seeming silence of God. There's no indication in Scripture that God has come to Abram during this time for 13 years so the reason I want us to think about this is this, is this is real life. This is something that we can all connect with. This resonates with us. We regularly find ourselves in times that require patience, waiting. 
where we're longing for answers. We're longing to be delivered from something. We're longing for provision. And it feels like tomorrow takes too long. Think about Abram and Sarai. 13 years. I did the math. Almost 4,750 days. That's a lot of wake-ups. To be reminded that still not true. Day older, still no promise. And even again, no indication that God comes to them. All they have to hold on to is the promise. That's it. And the same is true for us. That we too, all we have to hold on to is the promise. Now we're on this side of the cross. So we have maybe less excuse. We have the revealed word of God. We have the the fulfillment of everything in Christ to look to. And yet we're still clinging to a promise. We're looking for something that is unseen. That God will be our God and our children's God. And all that that means for for that to be true. Now in our own... Western evangelicalism, we have kind of turned biblical Christianity into this individualistic, transaction-oriented religion. We talk about walking an aisle or saying a prayer, and we do this to get fire insurance. We turn it into, that's what salvation is, being saved from the wrath of hell. And maybe that sounds a little simplistic, but there is some truth in that and what it's become in American Christianity. While we are saved from the wrath of God and saved from hell, salvation is much, much more than that. I hope all of you know this and revel in this, that when we simplify things down to, I found Jesus or I got saved, we're being really short-sighted and missing out on a lot. The covenant promise given to Abraham that is ours and has been fulfilled in Christ is about much more than the wrath of God being satiated. It is about an inheritance. It's about being made heirs with Christ. It's about a kingdom. It's about a true home found in paradise. It is about complete satisfaction and wholeness. Shalom. And the only one who can deliver on such a promise is God Almighty, El Shaddai. And this is where we have to start, because this is where God starts with Abram. He introduces himself as God Almighty. And so when you're in a period of waiting and longing and feeling like tomorrow takes too long, and you wake up 4,750 days in a row and still don't see an answer or a provision or a deliverance, you go to who? You go to El Shaddai. You go to God Almighty, the only one who is able to save. He's reminding Abram. He's really revealing to Abram who he is. He's already said that he's Jehovah, the transcendent God who made all things. He's revealed himself as as Yahweh, uh, the the, the imminent God, the one who is close. But now El Shaddai kind of fits in between these two in my own mind. He is powerful, the God who is almighty, but he's also the one who's able to intervene into what is seemingly impossible. He's not far off creator. He's not the clockmaker who wound things up and stepped away. He is El Shaddai. He is God with us, almighty God with us, able to intervene and able to deliver. And this was certainly the only one who could deliver on the promise to Sarai. Sarai was barren. Now, we've been told this already, but it seems like the text needs to remind us again. Sarai's without hope, 
And we know at this point that it's not on Ishmael's or Abram's side of the equation because we have Ishmael, right? We know the problem physically is with Sarai. She's almost 90. This means menopause as well in her rearview mirror. And I'm saying these things not to be crass, but to help us to see that only Almighty God could deliver on the promise that He had given. And so our Old Testament patriarchs and matriarchs looked through circumcision, just as we look through baptism, whether children or adults, to one who is able to do this, to keep the promise. God Almighty, the one who has the power to keep the promise. So God has introduced Himself now, and then He reiterates the covenant. He says, walk before me and be blameless. Now, God is not calling Abraham to any kind of works righteousness here. He, is not, he hasn't forgotten who Abram is. He remembers exactly who Abram is and knows that he is not blameless or perfect. The word here that is translated blameless means complete or sound. We could use a synonym whole. In other words, God calls us to live holy W-H-O-L-L-Y, completely before Him. What does this mean? It means that we are not to be duplicitous. We are not to live compartmentalized lives. We are not to try and do things in secret or to hide. The walk of faith is not only of trust, but of repentance. And so when we do sin, and we will sin, just as Abram sinned multiple times we've already seen, we not only continue to trust, but we also repent and turn to God and find mercy. And then he adds that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. I mentioned that this, this word, for, it's translated make in this verse, but its root means give, and it's that way it's used here six times uh, in this, in this uh, passage that we're looking at today. Make is a fine translation as long as we understand the emphasis here is, is it is on God's gift of the covenant, that He is giving to us something that he alone is doing. You remember what he did with Abram when he ratified the covenant? He put Abram into a deep sleep to show him, you don't have a part in this. I'm making the covenant, I'm giving the covenant, and guess what? I'm going to keep the covenant because I already know you're going to blow it. And this is the same promise that is ours, that he is doing the work. The economy of God's kingdom has always functioned this way. It will always work this way. It is the way of grace. God graciously gives us the covenant. God graciously gives us all things. That's what Paul says in Romans 8.32, He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? Now the all things there is not our laundry list of wishes. We know that, right? I mean, we might think for a moment that would be nice, but I think most of us know better that this is something that is far better than any list of things that we could come up with. What is ours in and through Christ is better than anything that we could ever want in this life. You don't have to live very long to know that those things that you want and that you think will completely satisfy you will indeed leave you wanting. You know, as a child, it was that one toy. You thought, if I could just get this, it was a Sears catalog, you know, you'd flip through it and look. If I could just have that one thing. And maybe as a teenager, it was a car. If I just had a car, I'd be happy. Everything else would be fine. Just, just one car. And then as an adult, it becomes things like marriage partner or a child or a job or a house or we could fill in the blank. And these are not bad things to want. 
And yet we know if we live long enough that none of these satisfy completely. Only Christ can fulfill us. What is ours in Christ, this all things that Paul writes about, Christ himself is now the only thing that will completely and wholly fulfill us. And this is why Paul writes in Ephesians 3.20, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we could ask or think. Some of your translations say ask or imagine, which I like better, because it means that whatever your wildest dreams are, God is going to do, and Paul uses this over-the-top language, far more abundantly than all that we could ask or imagine through Christ Jesus. Now the seed, or the the promise rather, is in seed form here in Genesis 17. Abram doesn't know all of this. God doesn't tell him how all this is going to unfold. At this point, it is simply to multiply him, to make him a father of many nations. We're, we, we see some additional things that the idea of being exceedingly fruitful is added. Uh, you know, each time the covenant is reiterated, we see God gives us a little bit more. He's ex- this expanding revelation. Also, this idea that kings would come from him. And his name is changed from Abram to Abraham. In other words, he's not just promised to be a father, but now he has the promise to be a father of many nations. And then God reiterates the promise of the land in verse 8. And then he adds, and I will be their God. I will be their God. God gives himself. He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. And it is at these words where he says, I will be their God, that he then institutes the sign of circumcision. Now, this was a sign of the covenant given to Abram. But it was also not just to Abram, but it was to the people. It was to be applied to all of the people, all the males, including the children, including the servants, many of whom would have been Gentiles. The sign of the covenant was to be applied to all infant males or adults when they were made a part of this household. It was even given to Ishmael. Ishmael, who would never show any signs given in Scripture of saving faith. Why? Because the promise is not about the individual or how they would react to the covenant. The sign of the promise was about the promise giver. Its design was to point to Him, Almighty God, who graciously gives the promise. He graciously gives the promise, which is Himself. He gives Himself to us to be our God, God with us. And so while we don't know how everyone will respond, and we don't even know whose responses are genuine, we hold on to the promise that only the gracious God Almighty can keep and fulfill, as has been demonstrated in the person of Jesus who kept the covenant. And then finally, the promise. The covenant promises would become true, wouldn't they? Isaac is going to come. He's going to be born. But it's in a way far beyond Abram's imagination. I've been saying Abraham this whole time. Now I can say Abraham and I'm saying Abram. Same. Okay, you guys follow me. Far beyond Abraham's imagination. Sarai's name gets changed too. She becomes Sarah. And now she is going to have kings from her as well. She's going to be given a son a year from now. God says Isaac is going to be born. There's no more guessing. Now we know when it's going to happen. 
Yes, Ishmael, he was going to get a blessing. He would be multiplied. He would be the father of princes. But from Sarah would come kings. From Sarah would come the one of promise. From Sarah would come one king in particular who would be the king of kings. And how does Abraham respond to all this? He laughs. And we look at this. If we put ourselves in Abraham's shoes, we can understand why he would laugh. I mean, this has gone on now for a long time. God keeps showing up and telling him about something that seems more and more and more and more and more unlikely. And now Abraham jokes or laughs. Why does he laugh? We don't know. But it's interesting, God doesn't rebuke him. God does rebuke others when they laugh, but He doesn't rebuke Abraham. And the only answer I can think for that is that there was faith in Abraham's heart. It's demonstrated in his posture. We see him fall on his face before God several times in this passage. But guess what? Next year, Abraham's not going to be laughing at God. His joy is going to produce a laughter that is genuine and real because Isaac is going to be born. And that's what we see Isaac will come. And then God says in verse 21, I will establish my covenant with Isaac. So the covenant's not just for Abraham. It's now for Isaac. In fact, the covenant's going to continue on through Isaac. It's perpetual. And this is how God has seen fit to work. Not only in bringing about the Messiah, but even today in how He works through the household of faith. He hasn't changed how He works. He gives us Himself to be our God and our children's God. Now, we certainly wish that meant every one of our children, don't we? We certainly wish that meant every one of our loved ones, family members, people that we pray for who don't trust Christ. But we are not God Almighty. He is the one who is chosen between Isaac and Ishmael, between Jacob and Esau. And Paul, he brings the question that you and I, we have in our mind, we may not be willing to say it out loud, but Paul brings it. He says, what shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. How is that comforting? Because it's only God Almighty who can save in the first place. It isn't about your parenting. It isn't about your witness and testimony and how you phrased something or didn't phrase something or how you blew it at Christmas time or maybe I'm the only one that blew it at Christmas time when you were around family or whatever you've done or not done. It is only God Almighty who can deliver on the promise. And so that is what we cling to. We cling to Him. He is our God. And He has promised to be our children's God as well. So many things as we look through biblical history should have stopped the covenant from coming true. So many obstacles came in the way. Even at the time of the birth of Jesus, so many things were there to end it. And yet the covenant came true. Jesus was born. God did come in the flesh. He did fulfill the law. He did live perfectly in our place. And He did die to atone for our sins. And the promise continues that He will be our God and the covenant will not be broken. The promise will not be broken. The only one who could do this, God Almighty, has graciously given us this promise. 
It's what we read about in Philippians 1.6. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Or 1 Thessalonians 5.24, he who calls you is faithful, he will surely do it. 1 Peter 1.3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to His great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. And John gives us a glimpse into what that looks like. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be His people and God Himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. Just as Abraham was commanded to give the sign of the covenant to all boys on the eighth day after birth, so he believed what that act pointed to. God Almighty gives a promise. And we too are called to do the same thing, to look to God Almighty who has given the promise, looking in faith to Jesus as the only one who saves, the only one who can save, the only one who can deliver us. And so now we too, as we go, continue to walk in faith, considering the sign given. God Almighty graciously has given us His covenant promise. He is faithful. He will do it. This is what we believe. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, may we see all that the promise is for us. May we not be short-sighted. May we not think smallly of what has been done for us in Christ Jesus. But may we see that You, El Shaddai, have given us a promise that will not be broken, that will not fade, that will not end, that nothing can stop. And may we put our hope, not in our wishes or our wants or our timelines, but Lord, may we put our hope in You as El Shaddai, who is almighty to accomplish all of Your purposes. And may we rest in knowing that all of Your purposes are good and for our good. And may You give us great confidence in this. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.